Book three, chapter nine of Garcia Marino by Augustine Berth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The Man. Before relating the sorrowful drama which interrupted the great works we have been describing, we wish to say a few words of the eminent moral qualities and virtues of Garcia Marino, which will be an answer to certain criticisms which have been uttered against him by good men, but who did not thoroughly understand his character nature had given him all the eminent qualities which form a man of action his extraordinary intelligence grasping as it did in a moment every complication in the business submitted to him and his thorough and profound study of all government questions gave to his decisions a brusque suddenness which sometimes startled his best friends tall and upright with a vigorous constitution a noble and dignified carriage yet a quiet and firm step everything revealed in him a man of devouring energy and activity his fine head with its white hair and broad forehead commanded the respect of all he had fine large eyes which in moments of virtuous indignation seemed to shoot forth lightning on his adversaries his voice was manly and powerful his phrases incisive clear and to the point so that his words had an authority which admitted of no reply every feature of his ardent and expressive face denoted an inexorable will happily the four cardinal virtues prudence temperance justice and strength were so equally balanced in his mind that his natural energy was merged in that christian heroism of which both his public and private life give us such remarkable proofs footnote the entire edifice of our good works is based on these four virtues prudence temperance strength and justice st gregory the great End footnote. garcia marina believed that the head of a state is simply an instrument in the hands of god for the good of the people he was intimately convinced that the catholic law was as binding on nations as on individuals and that the first duty of the head of the state in this nineteenth century was to re-establish the church in all its rights of which the revolution had deprived her let us do everything for the people through the church he would say he who seeks first the kingdom of god will have all things added to him he has been reproached for being too autocratic for having refused concessions to the revolutionary party but was not that on the contrary a proof of his prudence again he was accused of taking no advice but his own and despising other people's opinion the truth is he never would be guided by a public outcry government he used to say should direct public opinion not follow it lead the people not obey them blindly we shall give you up said some liberal conservatives to him one day if you do not follow our ideas so much the worse for you he replied the day I am not at hand to defend you, the revolutionary party, with whom you are coquetting, will devour you without mercy. Others attacked him for acting with too great precipitation. He answered, You do not take into account the time I have taken to mature my resolutions. I think a great deal before I act, but once I have made up my mind, I never rest till the thing is done. In spite of his naturally imperious character and his extraordinary talents, Garcia Marina always remained humble. This man, who was accused by his enemies of pride and ambition, never coveted power for his own sake, but that he might defeat the wicked and establish the kingdom of God. He accepted the presidency in 1861 unwillingly. That of 1865 was literally forced upon him by violence. He never sought for popularity either, nor would he make the smallest concession to obtain the favor of any party. The revolutionary papers overwhelmed him with calumnies and lies. He would read them calmly and say, He was too happy to be treated like Jesus Christ in his church. 
a religious who one day complained to him of the unfair attacks which had been made upon him received this noble and touching reply i deeply sympathize with you but you have a glorious opportunity to enrich yourself for eternity the blows you have received will seem to you less heavy if you compare them with those with which i am daily overwhelmed do as i do place these outrages at the foot of the cross and pray to god to pardon the guilty ask him to give me strength not only to do good to those who pour out their hatred against me by word and deed but to enable me to rejoice before god in having something to suffer in union with our lord it is a real happiness for me as well as an unmerited honour to have to suffer the insults of a revolution in company with the bishops and religious orders and even the sovereign pontiff sometimes he would defend an idea with a kind of passionate vehemence but it was always to exalt and defend some great truth or to expose some theory subversive of the interests of religion or society in arithmetic he would say we do not want eloquence but figures in philosophy and politics not many words but solid reasons in matters which did not affect principles he was singularly tolerant of contradiction and would often say to his opponent i have made a mistake you understand this question better than i do like all great men if he found himself in the wrong he would generously own and atone for it on one occasion when overwhelmed by business and petty vexations a priest came to him on some trifling business he received him rather sharply saying after he listened to his story it was not worth your while to trouble me or yourself with such a small matter the poor priest went away mortified enough but excusing the president on the ground that he was really too busy to attend to him the very next day early in the morning garcia moreno came to him to beg pardon for what he called his hasty and disrespectful conduct very often if he thought he had wounded any one by an impatient movement he would humble himself in excuses of this sort even towards those of whom he might well have had reason to complain an officer who had been his intimate friend took offence at something and would neither see nor salute him meeting him one day the president said i have named you my aide-de-camp the officer stupefied remained speechless well continued garcia moreno smiling and embracing him if you want my head here it is needless to add that the officer became his most devoted friend he never boasted of his works which nevertheless excited the admiration of the whole world when obliged to speak of them in congress he only did so to give all the glory to god being fully persuaded that he owed all his success to his grace also he continually asked people to help him by their prayers at the end of each year he sent a circular to the bishops to beg for acts of thanksgiving and petitions for further graces in his private letters to prelates or holy souls in whom he placed confidence he would implore of them to tell him of anything in his conduct which was reprehensible and also of any fresh way of utilizing his power to the greater advantage of the cause of god and his church feeling that he could not do the smallest thing without divine assistance he attributed all his success to god and the blessed virgin to the blessing of Pius IX, and to the prayers of his holy mother, and of a blind sister, for whom he felt the greatest veneration. A professor of botany once brought to him a rare and beautiful plant which was unknown in the flora of Ecuador, and begged leave to call it Toxonia Garcia Marino. "'If you want to give me a pleasure,' replied the President, "'forget my poor personality. If the flower be beautiful and unknown before in Ecuador, call it Toxonia Maria, and so do homage to the fairest flower in heaven.' self-indulgence of any sort was entirely unknown to him he treated his body as a slave or rather as a beast of burden whose function was simply to execute the orders of his soul 
His whole life was one of regular and uniform labor. Up at five o'clock every morning, he was always at church by six o'clock, when he heard Mass and made his meditation. At seven o'clock he would go and see the sick in the hospital, and then shut himself up in his room to work hard until ten o'clock. Then, after a short and frugal breakfast, he went to Government House, where he worked with his ministers till three o'clock. He dined at four, and then paid some necessary visits, inspected public works, or settled any disputes submitted to him. At six o'clock he came home and spent the evening with his family. When nine o'clock struck, when others went to take some rest or amusement, he would go back to his library to finish his correspondence, read the papers, and work on till eleven or twelve o'clock at night. Such was his daily life when things went smoothly, but when storms arose and his presence was needed elsewhere, he was on horseback from morning till night, looking upon nothing as impossible, while his iron constitution resisted all fatigue. In his inspections or battles, his only rest was taken wrapped in his cloak on the bare ground. A priest, having offered him once a camp bed, he refused, saying, I must not be spoiled. If I give my body a bed to-day, to-morrow it will find the ground hard. On the road from Quito to Guayaquil, which he had so often to traverse, he arrived one day at a village in a pelting rain soaked to the skin, and stopped at the priest's house. The poor man implored him to take his bed, but Garcia Marina replied, I am so wet that if I were to take off my clothes and my boots, I could never put them on again to-morrow. And so, throwing himself simply on a chair, he went to sleep till four o'clock, and then started afresh on his journey. In spite of his fatigues, however, he practiced the most rigid sobriety. In his travels he lived upon biscuits, chocolate, and a little black coffee. But at all times his table was simple and almost poor. He hardly ever touched wine, never gave dinners, nor accepted invitations. The head of the state, he would say, should live to work, not to get fat. In spite of excessive fatigues and almost continual abstinence, he rigorously observed the fast days of the church. Garcia Marina, in fact, did the work of ten ordinary men, and never would put off any business or letter till the next day. You really must not kill yourself. People would exclaim, That person can wait. God may make men wait, he would reply, but I have not the right. When God wants me to rest, he will send me illness or death. One day his minister, Carvajal, was determined he should have a holiday, and carried him off with several of the other ministers to a new hacienda he had just bought. After a long ride, Garcia Marina went over the whole establishment. Carvajal offered his guests an excellent dinner with good cigars and cards afterwards. When, towards evening, Garcia Marina gave the signal for departure, Carvajal implored him to remain and pass the night under his roof. I am very willing, replied the president, but you, gentlemen, he added, turning to the ministers, are you able to stay here all night and be at your offices tomorrow at eleven? They declared they would, and resumed their game. At midnight, however, Garcia Marina went home. The next morning, as usual, he went to the government offices at eleven o'clock, and found no one, upon which he sent messengers to each of the ministers, to desire them to come to their respective offices, where he was waiting for them. Besides this virtue of temperance, God had given to Garcia Marina the strength and courage which belonged to heroes. It was enough to see him in a moment of real danger, when no one could be otherwise than struck by his intrepidity. His natural energy had been developed by unheard of acts of bravery. The sanguinary fights in which he had been engaged, the constant revolutions, the daily plots of his enemies against his life, all these made him look upon death as an event which he must expect at any moment. From the patriotic love he had for his country, he was quite willing to accept the sacrifice. 
hence the prophetic utterances in the ode of fabius sinister presages of evil sadden my soul bloody pictures surround me in my agitated sleep the ball of a villain will pierce my heart but if my country delivered from oppression breathe freely at last willingly will i go down to the tomb not only did he not fear death but like the martyrs he desired it for the love of god how often did he write and utter these words what a happiness and glory for me if i should be called upon to shed my blood for jesus christ and his church no less remarkable was his perfect rectitude his strong sense of justice the fourth great virtue of a perfect man face que judois avenir que pora was his motto in the bitter struggle with the modern revolutionary and satanic spirit of which we have followed the history during twenty years of his life he braved death a thousand times but conquered at the last and traced with a firm hand that christian constitution which substituted for the pretended rights of man the promulgation of the real rights of god what a misfortune he exclaimed during the commune that so glorious a country as france should be governed by bandits led by a man of energy and christian courage she would soon deserve again her old title of eldest daughter of the church after his duty to god came that to the people no amount of pressure or menace would induce him to give place to unworthy persons the great evil of this country he would say is not to know when to say no men intrigue for such and such a place for such and such a man whereas another is justly entitled to it a man should be chosen for his fitness for the charge not the charge for the man his love of justice made him severe towards any one who took advantage of their position to oppress or despoil the poor in his journeys through the provinces he was surrounded with persons claiming justice at his hands he received them with paternal kindness heard all their complaints like st louis under the oak of vincennes and when he had satisfied himself as to the truth of their statements gave judgment on the spot one day he found that a rich proprietor to round off his property had seized some land belonging to some indians who were too poor to plead their rights he obliged this gentleman to restore the ground and deprived him of his office another time he found a poor widow from whom ten thousand piastres had been extorted unjustly garcia marina called for his treasurer and told him to pay her the money and who will repay so large a sum he exclaimed and replied garcia marino naming the thief whom he sent for and forced him to give the ten thousand piastres at once while he bitterly reproached him for his crime on another occasion he found a poor woman who had sold all her little property to bring up her children to a man who had forced her to give a receipt for the sale before the money had been paid and then had taken advantage of her innocence and refused to pay her a farthing garcia marina summoned the man before him and simply stating that the poor woman was in want of her money begged him not to delay the payment any longer the rug swore by his gods that he had paid her and showed the receipt in due form my friend replied garcia marina feigning surprise i am sorry i suspected you unjustly and so i owe you a reparation for some time i have wanted a man as governor of the islands of galapagos and i will appoint you as it would not be proper that you should go without an escort two police agents will accompany you to your house where you will make immediate preparations for departure the rug finding himself detected threw himself at the feet of the widow paid her the money and implored her to get his sentence revoked the poor woman went and pleaded for him to the president who said smiling yet i had appointed him governor however if he does not like his new dignity i will allow him to resign 
neither did garcia marina knowingly commit an injustice towards his neighbor during the war of eighteen fifty nine some soldiers had destroyed a house to obtain some firing he remembered it and sent to the bishop to find out the owner to whom he instantly forwarded an indemnity his enemies always did homage to his justice but declared he was often inexorable the truth is that he often sinned by pardoning people too easily one of the leaders of the revolution colonel vivero found himself reduced to hide himself in the neighbourhood of the capital and at last determined to leave the country for this purpose he asked a merchant for some money which he had left in his hands the tradesman put off the payment on various pretexts and at last begged him to come to receive it on a certain night while he in the meanwhile treacherously informed garcia marina of his movements so that he might be arrested brought before the president and threatened with a council of war vivero replied do with me what you will but do not allow this villain of a merchant who has betrayed me solely to escape the payment of his debt to remain unpunished garcia marina inquired into the facts found they were true sent the merchant to prison and turning to colonel vivero said you are free only do not conspire any more against the government he thus showed his generosity when any of his mortal enemies fell into his hands but to spare men like maldonado campoverde and others would have been simply to leave ecuador to the mercy of the anarchists we have enough assassins in the country without these he said to one who was pleading for their pardon your sympathy is roused by the fate of the criminals mine is reserved for their victims his passionate love of justice was united to an exquisite tenderness and kindness of heart towards all who suffered the poor knew it well and one saw him continually on his way home from his office surrounded with people of every class to whom he would listen patiently giving advice to one money to another and sending all away grateful and contented if all his days of charity were known where we had space to record them they would alone fill a volume with his friends he was always simple open-hearted playful even though preserving a certain dignity which was natural to him his conversation was charming with his extraordinary knowledge of such a variety of subjects he would talk of medicine with medical men jurisprudence with lawyers theology with ecclesiastics agriculture with peasants and every one found the time spent with him delightful but too short even those who had been most prejudiced against him beforehand when once admitted into his intimacy were as much surprised at his genial manners and amiability as at the extent of his learning but it was especially in the bosom of his own family that he showed all the tenderness of his loving nature he never was so happy as when he could be quite alone with them although so often compelled by political events to leave them his wife from whom he had no secrets was worthy of him and shared in all his joys and sorrows when god took away from them their little girl this man apparently so calm and so austere was quite inconsolable and did nothing but cry oh how weak i am he exclaimed i who thought myself so strong his tenderness now centred in his boy whom he hoped to bring up to be like himself he trained him early in the love of god and of duty in eighteen seventy four he presented the child to the director of the brothers with this simple recommendation here is my son he is six years old and what i wish is that you should bring him up as a good christian science and virtue will make him a good citizen do not be over-indulgent with him i beg of you and if he deserves punishment do not look upon him as the son of the president of the republic but as simply one of your scholars whom you have to train with the rest we have already spoken of his passionate love for his mother god preserved her to him up to the age of ninety-four and he always devoted himself to her with the same tenderness and veneration 
She died in 1873 on the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. To the letters of condolence he received on that occasion, he replied, like a true Christian, You should rather congratulate me. My mother lived for nearly a century. She was a saint. She died on the feast of Carmel. I feel sure she is in heaven. In his answer to his cousin, the Archbishop of Toledo, who had been her nephew, he thanked him warmly for having offered the holy sacrifice for the repose of her soul, and added, I am sure that she has already received the reward of her admirable virtues. Her faith was the most living thing I have ever known. It was enough to move mountains. Although naturally excessively timid, she was courageous to the pitch of heroism when it was a question of meeting any misfortune or danger, or to fulfill any duty. How often in my childhood she made me understand, with the greatest zeal, that the only thing to dread here below was sin. She used to say to me that I should be always happy if I knew how to sacrifice all earthly things, honor, and life itself, rather than offend God. I should never end this letter if I were to tell you all that my dear Holy Mother was, and all that I owe to her. The greatest favor you can confer upon me is to pray for her, and to recommend her to all the members of our family. We must now close this chapter of the virtues of Garcia Moreno, and reveal the motive power or first principle of this truly heroic life. End of Book 3, Chapter 9